Well, Brent is gay, and Kaylin's gay, and Clark is gay, and Ryan's gay, and Adam's gay. It's Homo Superior. Issue 193. I'm Kaylin. I'm Clark. I'm Adam. And I'm Brent Wingate. And this week, DC and Marvel celebrate Pride by offering some comic book issues for us to pay for. Loki's episode three takes a little breather and a hike. We dig through all of this week's comic issues, especially the ones related to the Hellfire Gala. There's news, because the news cycle never ends. And Netflix released a weird gay TV trailer. But first, a little housekeeping. So as we wrap up the end of the Hellfire Gala, we at Home of Superior will be hosting a one-night special X-Podcast crossover Hellfire Gala eleganza extravaganza <laughs> that's two alongza which will be available for your consuming pleasure next Thursday. Uh, we'll have uh, special guests, fun games, and all of the homosexuality you can bear to stand. Um, let's get into some of the topics today. Pride Month continues, and we got some big comics. So the big comic uh, companies released Pride Anthologies this month. Uh, one was titled DC Pride, and the other was Marvel Voices Pride. Um, what were your biggest takeaways from DC Pride? Uh, and how do you guys think that the kind of smaller selection of longer stories help to hurt relative to Marvel voices. Alan? So um, when it comes to just anthologies in general, I think generally I like them to be smaller stories or with fewer page count, because I think it's, it's like the short story format. Like you need that punch of like why the short story exists. Sometimes with longer stories and anthologies seem to be like unfinished comics unto themselves. I'm not saying that necessarily about DC Pride versus Marvel Voices Pride, but just this is just my, my bias in general. I think the DC Pride stuff um, is really important because I'll say this is all four of us are on right now are all cisgender gay men, but um, you know, there's a lot of trans representation in both, both anthologies. And one of the things I heard was that in Marvel Voices Pride, the trans, a lot of the trans individuals were supporting players or they were fans. Uh, they weren't the main heroes. In uh, DC Pride, they actually had trans like main characters. And so like, I didn't pick up on that being cisgender myself, but like seeing that observation made me go back and reread that. And I was like, huh, that actually is right. And so um, I think both, both volumes did a nice job with representation but like having people be the main character versus being like sort of more supportive fanboy, fangirl, fan non-binary, you know, individuals, uh, I think is a little bit of a a difference between the two volumes. I I agree with you on the sentiment about anthologies, because at least when they come in comic format, you know, if you have one that's really long and it just kind of leaves a bad taste in your mouth with shorter ones, you can be on to the next one and on to the next one. It's like one of those six word horror stories or whatever. Um, I will say the one that resonated with me the most was probably the, uh, the Green Lantern story about you know, being an older gay and having a younger you know, gay son and the kind of like missing piece of our generation you know, related to the AIDS crisis and how there is like this whole group of people who, you know, I mean, this, this isn't what the story is really all about, but I couldn't help be reminded of like, the, that there was like a whole generation of people we couldn't get advice from who weren't able to pave the way as fast as maybe uh, we would have benefited from, but that 
at every point in time, we can all stand up and like try and progress society to make it more accepting. Clark, what do you think? Um, didn't read them. Um, I, my question was in regards to, do people not realize that um, the Immortal Hulk character, Dr. McGowan was the main character in that? Do they not know who she is in the Daredevil one? Do they not know? Do they just think she's some random um, woman who's just there to talk to her? Because she is an important character and she's going to have her own miniseries and all this stuff. I do think there's some people who haven't read Immortal Hulk that didn't realize that okay, she well. is a major character. But she's not like the titular hero, I think, is what people are trying to say there. Um, but I mean, that's a, that's a good point. Tell, I'll just tell everyone that and just leave it there. But no, I didn't read the DC ones because I don't read the DC ones. Uh, yep. Yeah, no, I would I would still, as a person who didn't uh, know who that character was, I think, I think the point still stands that you're right. The heroes themselves are more, like we were talking about, more retroactively kind of given the overall kind of narrative and fit versus like a continued discussion of keeping them as the main hero. So I think, I think that's totally makes sense. Uh, but I think it's also important to point out, obviously, that these characters are going to continue to take more and more prominence, especially new ones as they're created. And I do think that like, what I liked about Marvel, which I will talk about in a second, is that like, it really was, a, it really ran the gamut of the spectrum of like, the characters that have been around for 40 years, the characters that have been around for like 10 years or less. Um, particular to DC, I mainly just had like, I, I liked it. I like the story most about Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy mainly because Poison Ivy wasn't getting beaten up for points uh, like in the mobile injustice game that we talked about <laughs> a couple of weeks ago. So I think DC's on an upward trajectory of inclusion success by maybe uh, intelligently thinking about its properties, particularly around comics, which is a bad joke. Uh, Kayla? The last story, uh, the one I was uh, illustrated by uh, Luciano Vecchio, who uh, has become you know fairly famous in queer comic fan circles, and written by Andrew Wheeler, somebody who I used to interact with like way back in the day on like a bunch of um, comics forums. Basically, wrote a, a Justice League queer comic, which was supposed to be one of the ones. If you remember when DC had that contest of like you know almost like a like a March Madness of like which book was going to end up somewhere, and they only had the titles and people had to vote. Uh, so I'm, I'm glad that we got to see it. Um, I think it was a little, uh, uh, a little ham fisted at times, but, uh, it was still, it was still very, very enjoyable. And, uh, I think, uh, Luciana draws a very, very attractive Aqualad. So, uh, from a pure, puerile standpoint, uh, I was happy to see that. Yeah. The, the artwork is fantastic. Uh, so on the Marvel side, uh, you know, the kind of vehicle Marvel voices pride was supposed to be a vehicle to introduce, the new gay character Somnus, uh, which was in uh, Man of His Dreams by Steve Orlando and Claude Aguirre. What do you guys think of a gay character's origin story being a one night stand? And what are your thoughts on this whole, uh, on the Marvel voices in general? I mean, I like it because it's a one night stand, but it's like a one night stand that lasted hundreds of years, basically. Or, you know, his whole thing is like a dream of a lifetime kind of stuff. It's, I don't know, I just like that back and forth interesting version so it's not just like being a complete slut but it is <laughs> well I mean yeah it's it's very fitting for the stereotypical like gay male experience but I think you're right in the sense that like I mean there are those I mean not one necessarily one night stand but even some of those one night stands where it's like you do have a great moment in time where it's like that person left a really big impression on you or it's like you spent the day with them the weekend with them whatever 
So I think it's very true to the experience. And I feel like it wasn't necessarily pulling any punches while, like you said, Clark, really providing the universe in which like there was obviously a healthy ongoing relationship and connection. Um, and so I just like the, I thought it was a cool introduction, especially tying it to the mutant perspective Him, his own power itself is like imaginatively cool. I'm like, what a fucking weird ass, like ability to have. So I thought it was a good introduction and I'm just glad it's not like some other person that's like flying around shooting lasers out and super strong. Like it's just a very different take on another character and another type of power. So I, I like the introduction and I liked Marvel overall. Do you, uh, do you mean impression or dick print, Adam? Um, I do, I did like- Mushroom I tattoos did, all over. I did like the fact that it is a one night stand because Krakoa is so sex positive that we don't have to be like, oh, this is, you know, this is a little like, you know, seedy or whatever. Gay men are like, it's like, who the fuck cares? Like, you know, gay, straight, you know, bi, uh, pansexual, like let people you know, have a good time if they want to. And they're, you know, it's about consenting adults. Um, I, I thought it was great. Um, I'm happy, again, that Steve Orlando, who some of his books we've reviewed on podcasts, has been doing mostly DC. Now he's moving over to Marvel. You know, uh, he had that Ilyana book that we read uh, with around man thing. Uh, and the fact that he got to write this like uh, story introducing Somnus to the, um, to the Krakoan books, uh, I think it was fantastic. Clark? Um, in general, I really liked the comic. It, I loved the framing device, like the just literal history of all the gays throughout the time. I just loved having weird stuff like Destroyer and Union Jack showing up there mm -hmm. who have only been like three comics as gay characters. Um, I still constantly get mad that everyone says North Star was the first like out hero <laughs> when Hector was out a year beforehand. So fuck all y'all. Um, <laughs> they, they didn't mention his fucking name. They showed him in a picture, didn't name him. I was angry. Fuck North Star. I forgot. Um, but it, I know I really liked it. I felt there was halfway through, there was a lot of navel gazing where it's just like, okay, I can hear you. I can hear editors. I can hear what you're saying. It's getting a little samey, but samey in a positive way. But still, mm -hmm. there was some sameness going on halfway through. I, yeah, I think what really worked for me as uh, this sort of collected issue was definitely the introduction. And it almost, I thought it was so cool to position it as like, almost like this book is going to not necessarily give you a Marvel gay LGBTQ plus history lesson, but it, it just felt a bit more organized and compact or yeah, I just thought it was much better in terms of presentation wise for DC because I just, I just felt like it was a really encompassing book that like, you know, maybe they'll start doing more stuff on an ongoing yearly basis, but like this thing could last and survive for a long time. I thought the stories were interesting. The, the inclusion level seemed at least from my own perspective, relatively high. Um, and again, like I said, I just, I was, it inspired me a lot to be like, you know, I'm sure they wanted to pat themselves on the back of like, look at how much we've grown in our queer family in our books. But I, I just thought it was like a really nice opening story that really set the stage for the rest of it, rather than just a lot of ham-fisted tossed together stories of like, uh, where's that random character that definitely was like maybe Pan or maybe this, like, let's just throw them in and give them like a one shot. And I think like we were talking about before, giving two to three pages per story really helped a lot more, getting a lot more experiences in rather than like these longer character journeys that obviously these books are never gonna fully accomplish. Um, so that's what I liked about it. Um, go back to Clark's point, uh, you know, about North Star not being the first one to be out. It's really uh, Hector in, uh, I think it was when Peter David was writing Incredible Hulk. Um, mm -hmm. 
the the only thing I didn't love about this anthology was the weird inclusion of Alpha Flight number whatever one hundred six that would that had North Star coming out, which is it is a badly written comic and a badly drawn one. And like going back and reading, you know, like when Hector came out, that's so much better. And then going back to DC for a hot second, one of the uh, the one the short story that Cena Grace wrote, uh, who used to write Iceman, um, Pied Piper, he was he was outed even before North Star. And it's when Wally West was Flash and he's having this conversation about, oh, like about all these people who are gay. And he's like, oh, the Joker must be gay. And the Pied Piper goes, no, he's not. And he's like, well, how do you know? He's like, because I'm gay. And that guy is just a fucking maniac. I'm actually gay. And it was like such a very, in the early 90s, like 1991 or 1990 of like this very like, uh, I think sweet coming out um, like panel in this comic was so much better than North Star screaming, I'm gay while there's a baby in a dumpster. Um, oh, he's about to just punch a weird someone in the comic. face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they did remove the, the poor dumpster baby that died of HIV in this um, oh reprint. Yeah. Clark, Clark, quick point. That was my quick point. Oh, okay. I was going to... Yeah. Oh, no, my quick point uh, was, did you know that the previous writers were going to make North Star have a, a, a disease and he was going to have HIV and he's going to die? Oh, and so then they... But then when new comics, new characters came around, uh, new writers came around, that's what they gave us instead, which is at least him alive and a coming out story and him not dead. But I... I will say that the issue is the, like the most mass for mass representation of like gay culture on the planet. It's like, yeah, they're like fist fighting. It's like, I'm gay. Like, it's just all so extreme. All right, let's get some uh, quick takes on some particular uh, sections that we liked. Uh, totally Invulnerable by uh, Crystal Frazier and Jethro Morales. Uh, this one was the one with uh, Titania trying to confront She-Hulk who actually turned out to be a girl in cosplay. What did you guys think of this? Um, as somebody who uh, doesn't do cosplay very well, but is in admiration of people who do, I really did like this story. And I know I'm sort of contradicting myself about, you know, how DC Pride had more representation of titular characters uh, versus like sort of like fanboys and fangirls. But this still made me smile a lot. Mm -hmm. I like the little like, you know, like moment where um, uh, quote unquote She-Hulk, you know, has coffee with Titania and says that hey oh well next time I think I'll do a Titania cosplay I was like I think this is just adorable yeah I, I think like this good they're playing okay. her she used to be straight up evil as hell yeah she did have that uh, middle of the road evil kind of feel oh maybe she's good sometimes now, uh, now she's, in, she's a good guy in Immortal Hulks now and and as I said about Dr. McGowan she's also going to be in the Gamma um, miniseries um for me I, the thing i liked about this the most was that it really captured you know if you're in the closet how powerful doing something like costumes can be mm -hmm, that for sure. they really do exist as a suit of armor against society's judgment that like hey maybe i can be a little bit different a little bit weird and people will allow it because it's a costume but it gives you this kind of special strength sorry adam did you have something to say no, I just agree across the board. I thought, I think you're right, Kaylin. It just brought a smile to my face. It was like the exact right amount of like comedy. The artwork was really fun. Um, and it was just a really nice story and a good, like, again, being able to tell experiences that certainly are not my own. It's, you know, helpful to like learn and hear and think about uh, other people's both fictional and non-fictional experiences in this regard. And I, I just thought it was like very, um, 
really well done and very fun in a way. Like it just really made the, the material like exact, exactly what I wanted essentially from this book. So the next one we had was Colossus, which was by Kieran Gillian and uh, Jean, Jen Hickman. Uh, it was Prodigy reflecting on his experience being bisexual and not having queer role models uh, to speed. Um, any thoughts on this, Clark? No, Kaylin was first. Okay. Sure. Uh, there's two reasons I really, really love this story. One, um, I, I love Kieran Gillen, uh, who himself is uh, bisexual and wrote uh, my favorite run of Young Avengers, which is where, where Prodigy came out and he, um, he and Speed got together. Um, the other reason why is I, like many other gay men, came out first as bisexual. And I think for me, it was more about that journey rather than the destination of being bi. I, I do think I'm gay. Uh, but when I did come out, you know, in my like early twenties, I had plenty of gay men saying, oh, bi, bi is not a thing. It's not a thing. And so having, you know, prodigy, like seeking out, um, role models and not having it immediately, even like, you know, somebody who I think in comics is probably between the ages of 18 and 20, you know, like, so he's relatively new, uh, newly outed, um, I think just kind of struck home for me. Uh, and I'm glad that like, there was a story that acknowledged that. Clark? To me, this felt like the most like quintessential, how you like story of like not, coming out now, but also coming out like an hour generation, mm -hmm. like the whole furtive glances. He keeps like the, the second he has like slowly look right when he sees that Colossus's torso, <laughs> torso and like internally is freaking out is so on point for my swim team life. <laughs> I'm, I'm literally like third grade until college. Yeah. Tons of those looks. Um, I don't know. It was just nice. I mean, it's fun for a romantic couple to be talking about this. Seems really cute. Yes. Yeah. Opening up to each other about that in a way that I, I don't really know if I've done that with lots of people I've dated, but then they're all garbage. So maybe that's why. <laughs> <laughs> you hear that people who listen to this podcast and Clark dated. He's single, yeah, so gentlemen. That, yeah. that that Venn diagram does not intersect. <laughs> <laughs> I bet there is uh, definitely someone that listens to this podcast that Clark has somehow randomly dated or hooked up with. That we don't there, know about. I know of one, and I'm not going to say that person's name. All right, quick toss-up question: Who's sexier, human skin Colossus or metal skin Colossus? Metal, metal, metal every day, metal for sure. Clark. I'm fine with either one. I'm fine with either one. Metal is the correct if answer. If he's pushing I, a tractor, then 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 um, skin. I do have a TMI question. Oh, that's a good point. But I do have a TMI question because, like, yes, it's when you're, metal. The dick is also metal. Well, right, but like, how do you have a flaccid metal penis, or is it just immediately go hard? Well, Adam, Unstable molecules. How, how um how, is 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 the semen like mercury or something? <laughs> I we went to ask to take a beautiful conversation <laughs> about uh, Voices comics. It's a Kevin really, Smith movie now, thanks. Really good. Fucking mall rats. <laughs> human skin isn't known for its rigidity anywhere on the body. So the second that any part of him turns metal, shouldn't it be like not flexible or Right, whatever? so it's like instant yeah. Viagra. So, yeah, okay. so he should, yeah. when, when he transforms, he should just become a statue. <laughs> Wait, is he cut or uncut? Do we know? And so, if he's uncut, does he have to like peel back metal foreskin? Yeah, what, I think what, Russians are peel back metal foreskin. Yeah, Kaylin, it's a it was a procedure. They had to use a buzz saw uh, at his breast. 
I, I, I do not All have right. the answer. I just Googled Russian uncut penis and I did not get anything. <laughs> All right. Let's, <laughs> let's move on to the last one. Early Thaw by Anthony Oliveira and Javier Garon. Um, so Iceman is still in the closet and he's kind of sad, but thankfully Magneto is there to cheer him up, but he doesn't even tempt him with the brotherhood of mutants. So I don't know what's going on here. Anyone uh, like this one? Adam. I thought it was really cute, but I don't think it like, it's not can like, I just, I'm like, I thought it was a sweet kind of thing, but it just, it felt a little bit like none of this felt like it was actually real. It was just sort of like something they wrote for this to be like, oh, cute. Like, I don't know. That was my feeling about it. But I, I did, a, like, I thought it was a nice conversation in Jester. And it also obviously continues to show like Magneto's three dimensions. But I was like, hmm, this is the one I'm not buying. Yeah. I enjoyed it in the way that I think about, you remember those old uh, like uh, Looney Tunes cartoons where it was like the sheepdog and like the wolf and they would clock in you know, and then they would start like, you know, like start that and then they would clock out and they would like, go be like, well, I'll see you tomorrow, Bob. I'll I see love you yeah. And so Ralph, like, I felt like, Ralph. Ralph, thank you. It's like, I felt like this was like, okay, so Magneto's there with his missile. This is like X-Men number one or X-Men number five <laughs> or whatever. And like, you know, he sees a closeted Bobby Drake just like, you know, kind of crying and he just like puts pause on everything and then has that moment. And I'm like, I like that kind of, like fourth wall breaking moments in comics when stuff is characters are established, settings are established. So I I, I, I liked it. And just seeing like like a, a baby Bobby Drake wearing Magneto's helmet just I get put a smile to my face. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, 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 to me it did rang rang false, but I thought it was cute, like everyone else had said. Um and I think it's true to form that Angel has to be so gorgeous that like it's impossible for you not to be attracted to him. It's the same way, like Dick Grayson is like their version. I think yeah. Johnny Storm and mm-hmm. and and Angel are like the ones that are nest. You can't write them ugly. If you do, you're writing them wrong, or draw them ugly, or write them ugly. Yeah, yeah. My dick went metal when he was coming out of the pool for sure. <laughs> uh, okay, let's talk about Loki episode three. Uh, Lamentus. What? what one thing I wanted to say? Did they let's spoil? inferno a little bit ish in a way when they introduced somnus where they had the little thing that said somnus will reappear in krakoa in 2022 but it literally says uh, we, know, we know krakoa is still gonna be around in 2022 oh uh, so, so i always inferno ex- yeah. will not destroy the island entirely i guess is what it's saying or i guess the where to conclude it's funny you say that. I didn't even think about that, but I, I didn't even think Inferno would destroy the island. I think this is like the beginning. Inferno like ends the first act of what Hickok oh, yeah. is trying to do. Yeah. So um, so that's that's my feeling well, there. there. There's hey. some Redditors who who um, had been questioning that beforehand. And so when this came out, I was like, oh, well, they're not going to be correct there. Oh. Ah. It just makes me laugh that like they're like, it's we're halfway through the year. It's not like they couldn't have found, I guess it's obviously part of the bigger grand plan, but I do love it. Like, here's this gay character. See him next year sometime. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Literally, they could change, right? If it was like a regular normal world that where Hickman wasn't doing a great job, it'd be like, yeah, we changed writing staff and Somnus never came back again. He, never, <laughs> yeah. he went to That's his home happened. world. <laughs> All right. Now, can we move on to Loki? Yes. Great. Uh, this was episode three, Lamentus. 
Uh, obviously, we're going to have tons of spoilers ahead, but also uh, an extra warning. We will talk about hypotheticals about where the show could go. So we don't want to spoil any potential storylines that may uh, come up that you want to figure out when you watch the show. All right. So after executing a perfect carpet bombing of a Walmart, Sylvie heads to the TVA before being intercepted by Loki and in a fight, they both end up on the doomed moon, Lamentus One. Uh, Sylvie and Loki are just a quirky odd couple trying to catch a train to the nearest and only ship off planet and basically everything goes wrong. All right, so we got some big revelations in this episode and I kind of want to talk about the implications the first one is that Loki is confirmed as canonically bisexual in the MCU. <laughs> so happy pride to him and congrats on being able to come out in a, you know, bisexual lighting. Um, how did you guys feel about this announcement and how much do you like that the crowning of the first queer character was taken out of Joe Russo's hands? Clark. I do want to say about the lighting that distracted me. I hated the, the color scheme and they totally did it because it was the, the flag of the bisexual flag. I thought that was yeah, very the purple is just a not a great look for an entire planet and that, everything on it. That didn't work at all, right? Um, I mean, obviously, I no, I hated the fact that he's bisexual. No, I'm clearly very happy that it, it's this fucking shit is true. I mean, it's all right. It's the right thing to do. It's the right thing for the character. So good job on them. And the Russos had their first queer character, that random schmo that was sitting in that. Circle. That's what I'm saying. But but he was like the first one on screen who was like, I'm gay. Now it's no, he, but, but, wherever but Loki, Loki didn't do that either. He said kind he, he said he yeah. said he said sort of both. He didn't actually say I'm bi. That's and this is a, this is my issue. This mm-hmm. is my issue. Like a jump in. Marvel is being too cute because they want to make sure that they can sell the stuff in other countries. Uh, that have much more restrictive content like China, Saudi Arabia, you name it. And so it's just, it's like, it's a moment that I had to rewind and I'm like, wait, did I hear what I heard? And which is fine. I think it was a really cute moment. It's a cute moment if you have a lot of representation in these, in, in these movies and these TV shows, but clearly you don't. And it was just like, oh yes, that makes sense. Of course, Loki is bisexual. He's been around long enough that he has had, uh, you know, relations with both men and women. Um, and he's attracted to both. Great. But it just was like, okay, it was just a, a wink, wink moment that I would expect mm-hmm. from a 2005 TV show. And that's what this reminded me of a Russell T Davies, like penned episode of Dr. Who that was just okay. And I expected more from this episode. Brent. I am. I really like it um, because I like retroactive explanations that make characters feel like they fit more. And a bisexual Loki to me is great. My problem is how neutered it is where, you know, for these kind of movies that like romance has never been any component of Loki's interests. And so the idea that like you at, you attribute, you know, the important part uh, to a character and then, you know, obviously there's not gonna be a real love interest for him, I don't think, uh, maybe himself. Um, you know, it's, it kind of, it, it does neuter it. Caitlin? But they're all neutered. I mean, uh, we've talked yeah. about how, like, you know, real, real, uh, quote unquote, real auteur directors like Martin Scorsese, like, don't value these movies as, as being real cinema. And then you had someone like Pedro Almodovar <laughs> saying, I like superhero movies. They're just so sexless. Like, all of, all of the MCU, they're just so neutered and sexless that none of the relationships, straight or gay, like, 
have any kind of heat to them or any reality to them. They just feel, I don't know, they just feel uh, bland. Like, why can't we sh- sh- see some real passion, whether it be with, you know, hetero, cisgender individuals or, you know, uh, gay or bisexual individuals or trans individuals? Like, it just, I, I don't know. I, I, have, I, have, I, have, I love the MCU, obviously. I just have real problems with just how, like, bland it is in that, in that regard. Well, let's talk about the uh, the second revelation. So in the process of explaining her enchantment powers, Sylvie reveals that all of the workers in the TVA aren't made by the timekeepers, but are rather variants themselves working after some sort of memory wipe type thing. I found this quite exciting because it opens up a lot of possibilities, uh, including, you know, is Mobius a Loki? Uh, who is running the TVA? Could it just be a bunch of Lokis? Uh, given the number of variants, is it possible that TVA isn't really doing anything and there isn't even one sacred timeline? Clark. Mobius is just a ski-doo seller, salesman. That's all he does. It's just, that's what his original persona was just selling boats and stuff. Those jet skis, yeah. That's why he loves a jet ski. Caleb? A theory I uh, read was he may not be uh, like a Loki variant, but like maybe like a Prigga variant because they keep mentioning her so much in this show uh, that I, it almost feels like a little Chekhovy about a character that died, you know, eight years ago uh, in, in the second Thor movie. Uh, I did. I think this revelation was the most interesting part of this episode, which I, I thought that was very flawed compared to the first two episodes. I, I like that a lot specifically uh, in contrast to the opening scene when you have uh, Sylvie, you know, taking out the, the TVA agent for margaritas and they're like having that moment and you realize that, oh, like she's just, you know, like trying to get information from her. Uh, I, like these people are being used by bigger powers and there's something incredibly nefarious about that. And it kind of goes back to our conversation last week about, you know, whether the TVA is good uh evil or neutral and i think they're more like bureaucratic like probably like lawful evil or lawful neutral at best i'm i I, i'm I'm trying to think of anyone i think maybe ravona is the only one who might not be a variant and that's because um speculations and stuff since she is the what adoptive daughter i can't remember in my head of of kang the conqueror yeah that this is going to directly tie in and he'll be the one in, this is all nonsense. Who knows? The, the TVA? I don't know. TVA sounds like it's probably a really shifty piece of shit corporation. And I've been thinking that for a long time. Um, that, uh, I don't know. I've got things to say later that they're going to smash into this topic. So uh, what did you guys think of the relationship between uh, Sylvia and Loki? Um, you know, what did you think about, you know, what we've learned about her so far? And then kind of the vehicle of the story of it cutting off and then having this kind of journey to get to the, you know, off-world, off-world unloading ship. Caitlin? So going back to Clark's um, prediction last week about her maybe being the enchantress, they said the word, she said the word enchant so many fucking times that <laughs> this is the origin story of the enchantress. She might be a Loki variant, uh, but she is going to end up being the enchantress in future projects. It's like, it would be weird if they didn't go down that route. And I kind of like that, even though like I was sort of disappointed that she was Lady Loki, quote unquote, Lady Loki. 
uh, as we were as we found out at the end of last week's episode. But if this if they're like trying to like kind of merge certain like you know characteristics and and storylines, I think this is a, a good step forward. I did like their chemistry a lot. Uh, I missed Mobius a ton because I think he's such an integral part of the show. But uh, I think uh, the way that they kind of interact with one another is 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 good. And I like the attention to detail that like her fighting style mimics like our Loki or the Loki the titular Loki's fighting style too to show oh like they they are you know a variation on one another. I. I- liked it enough i don't know it it i it's not doesn't there's no spice to it enough for me to really get into it i think they're fine together yeah they don't have like some conflict that's really clearly heading uh, butting heads because loki's already made her an offer several times to attack the tva in some capacity so any at every point they have to kind of prove why these two would be at, be at each other's yeah. throats or not have killed each other already um, one thing that's starting to bother me is there's like, is I need more, a little bit more information, you know, how, so Sylvie, when she gets into the TVA at the beginning of the episode, she tries to use her enchantress powers on, on a guard and learn, clearly learns for the first time, magic doesn't work in the TVA, which makes it seem like, so she's never been in the TVA before, but if she's never been in the TVA before, how has she known about them? at what point did they enter her life? How does she find them? Uh, it yeah. seems like it adds so much complication. The other big one was what the fuck was going on with that building collapsing that Loki was able to mind push up. Um, did any of these things bother you? Do you feel like there might be some explanation about, you know, maybe Loki's enchanted or are these, th- are these things that we just going to have to accept out of the TV show? Clark? Well, I think we're going to get into a little of her backstory, how she might know that stuff. But I do think it's basically just because she's enchanted enough people of their people in the real world that she knows the schematics or layout and that kind of stuff. But I don't know. Yeah, history. I, I, I think I think that's the probably the best explanation. Like like when she, at the very beginning of the episode, when she's like, you know, getting information from the the TVA agent that she controlled the margarita scene. I can see like that wasn't the first time she's done that. So she's clearly like been able to get information from others as well. Um, no, sorry. I, I my, did... point, my, my point was that she didn't realize that her magic didn't work in the TVA. Understood. But like she didn't get that information from them, meaning that she wasn't necessarily in the TVA at all. That was the first time she was there. So she knows enough about them because agents are following her. Uh, and that, that's the way that she's been able to decipher uh, everything she needs to know about them. I guess she just never asked the question. She should have asked the question, but she never did. Yeah. Um, no, no. I, I, the weird thing is that she's never been in the TVA, but knows about them. But we they're, don't know that. Okay. We well, there could be a flash flashback. I don't know. I did think that the uh, the the rug pulled from our feet was going to be that that she was doing this to Loki at the very end. Yeah. That this like that this mm-hmm. didn't yeah. actually exist. It was all in his head. And then when the episode ended, I was like, oh, okay. All right. So this is the cliffhanger about them being stuck in this cataclysm. Uh, and it was less interesting to me. Yeah, I was kind of hoping for that. The other possibility might be that Loki was doing this himself to her, but I can't see how that really works out. So it, it kind of, uh, even though I liked the ending a little bit, it did fall flat 
Um, Structurally, they can't do that anymore since they ended the way they did here. Yeah, it'll it'll feel I, like that episode was a waste if they try. I do want to see her I, and that random girl hanging out more. I liked that oh. that scene quite a lot. Yeah, that I was pretty good. Yeah, uh, I think that was a really really nice start. Like it gave me a lot of hope for this episode, and then I realized we're halfway through the season, and like it felt filler for uh, a season that only has six episodes and it's like uh please let the the second half be a lot more i don't know have a lot more to do so is uh now that we are at the midpoint what can you what do you guys want from the second half because the idea seems to be get to the tva get to the timekeepers and do something will they hold out you know until episode five will we get some big piece of information next episode I mean, I don't know what they could pull out, though, to make me be interested in this. I think the only thing would be that Kang stuff I just told you about. It, it's yeah. this, as, as Kaylin said, this is a bad Russell T. Davies um, episode of Doctor Who. And this is our series. That one episode is terrible, but it's, it's all this is. It's just time travel, time travely kind of stuff. Quasi huddling, bedling, boring. I don't know. I just I don't, I'm not into it. Kaylin. Yeah. Um, the Kang stuff, but also I think if this ends with uh, a variant of a younger Loki, like we saw in Young Avengers, I think that would make me very happy. Um, yeah. Like I like, um, uh, oh gosh, what's the actor's name for Loki? I just blanked on it. Um, Tom Hiddleston. I like him a lot. He's incredibly charming, very easy on the eyes, but I would like for this to be his swan song. And then like we end up with a variant who's like, like, like a teenager who will be part of like that next generation of heroes, anti-heroes, villains. I, I can't swan song him until we swan song Thor. Mm. So we've got another movie. Maybe yeah. not together. Well, um, uh, we'll talk, uh, we'll, we gotta move on. Mm. Uh, so we'll talk about more Loki stuff next week uh, with the next episode. Mm. Let's move on to some comic stuff. We got to get some yeah. Hellfire Gala. Yeah. Well, before we get into the Hellfire Gala, which is the more interesting stuff, we did have one issue of X-Men Legends that's a bit old school. So it's issue number four by Louise and Walt Simonson. And when we last left the original X-Factor, they were being attacked by Cameron Hodge piloting a killer robot. Uh, Apocalypse and his horseman Caliban watched while the original five X-Men treated Cyclops' son like a football. Weird scene. Uh, Cameron escapes an X-Factor ship, which used to belong to Apocalypse, goes back to its creators, the Celestials. To see what's next, read X-Factor number 43, which isn't available on Marvel Unlimited or in collected format. So good luck and fuck off, true believers. Um, so a couple quick questions. Uh, how does this proto version of Apocalypse jibe with the current version we most recently saw in Ten of Swords? Adam. I think there was some good... I don't know if they had done it purposefully or what have you. I thought there was some good language that like continued to just build this ongoing mission of him wanting to prepare the you know the, the survival of the fittest without giving away what obviously uh, his his larger goals were um, from the recent runs. I thought it was like a good. It still felt within fit and within character, especially because he was his whole intention was always about just continuing to make them stronger versus like yeah. him seeming maniacal. Overall, the issue like read like a um, 
it read like a old school comic, I guess. Like I didn't mind it, but I did think this baby football shtick was like, what the fuck is this? (laughs) (laughs) It was so stupid. I I didn't have time for the issue, but I did have time for the characterizations that felt at least thoughtful to both current events as well as past events. Uh, Reading this and reading the other comics, I kind of forgot that I read this comic, not because I didn't like it enough, but because it feels like I read this thing three years, three, like three decades ago. Like, <laughs> exactly. it, feels, like it feels correctly, like in my brain, that's where it was located. <laughs> this, this does not feel recent, re- recently written right. at all. Um, and I I'll guess that's I, that good. Is that bad? I don't know. I, I did. I didn't mind this, especially I think Walter Simonson's art is held up. Like he's, I think he's a phenomenal yes. artist. I like his use of onomatopoeia a lot, which is like what he was known for, especially when he did Thor. I think I would have liked this if the coloring didn't look modern. Like if it looked, it had that more like flat four color feel of older comics. Like I like I wish I could read this on newsprint, to be mm-hmm. honest, like back in the 80s. Um, and I think it would have much more of a feel. I do think it's a real fuck you for Marvel to say, to find out next, read Fort number 43, <laughs> you go to Marvel Unlimited, it's not there. <laughs> and it's like, and they, they even put that in there, which is kind of funny. It's like, well, like, you're not going to be able to find this in a collected format. So you got to go like hunt for back issues. Like who the fuck does that anymore? I mean, it's just, it's such a weird archaic thing to do. Clark. Do you know what's weird to read is reading beast as a not piece of shit. Right. That, there's that. Like, too. It, that felt very strange. Like as if he was a human being that wasn't garbage. <laughs> yeah. Well, the next uh, X-Men legends is going to focus again on X factor, but it's the, the first run of Peter David's X factor, which was the, when they were, government agents so it'd be interesting to see how that's going to hold up so let's move on to the hellfire gala first up we've got wolverine number 13 by benjamin percy and scott eaton so continuing from the cliffhanger from the most recent issue of x-force Krakoa cia deals with uh, beast and sage's awry plan to control terra verde through telefloronics uh, deadpool shows up to save the day and insists that he's an honorary member of x-force Sage comes to her senses and tells Beast that they're going to let the Terra, uh, the Terra Verdans go, give them $1 billion, and in exchange, they're not going to speak to the media uh, about the coup. While that's happening at the gala, someone hijacks the Marauder that's filled with the Shi'ar Logic Diamonds and throws Christian Frost overboard. And the issue ends with the Marauder on fire in Madripoor Bay. So first question, Mystique did this, right? This is Mystique. It's got to be Mystique. Sure. <laughs> I, I I was I didn't like, think it was. <laughs> what a mystery! Yeah. I, I, you, I, wait. Go ahead. I'm just always that mindset. Like whenever there's like, I never bother to think about who's doing what. I'm just like, ooh, fun! I can't wait to see what happens next. I don't like <laughs> rush through my head. I, I didn't actually care to think about who it could be either. Uh, but Brent, I mean, who, did, who did you think? Who did you think it was, Brent? Well, I didn't have a theory because uh, the way the panel's drawn made it kind of actually seem like she was shocked by that news. Uh, so I didn't think it was Emma Frost. I, I'm like, oh, Mystique, who's this new player? Miss, not oh, Mystique. Mystique. Sorry, sorry. The, the, way, the, the way the panel read to me, I thought at first it was Christian Frost talking. Like oh, the, the, you're right. Was, it does look moment, like it. I was like, I had to read it like four times. Like, what the fuck's he talking about? Why is he suddenly in the water? Right. Yeah. I will say the art. Uh, I mean, Scott Eden is a fine artist, but like, if Adam Kubert had drawn this, it would have looked a lot better. I, I'm also just. I think I'm over both Wolverine and X Force in general. There are elements I like in both, 
but it, they're definitely becoming the weaker parts of the uh, Reign of X books. Brent? I think for the, you know, the telephoronics part of it, I like the plot points, but I don't know if I love the execution of them. You know, Agreed. someone someone like Beast, I think is very interesting because he reminds me of a Game of Thrones character that you absolutely hate, but could you know could fuck so much shit up. And that kind of makes him an interesting player. But I still, you know, yeah clark i do love whenever deadpool talks talks about what's in his anus um yeah no i i I was a i've been a huge fan of x-force overall i do feel like it's been middling a little bit only because they had such a heavy focus on quentin quentin's like barely in this one Mm -hmm. and i think you're right it's like Wolverine's just a dry character. It's everyone's kind of playing their part and no one's really growing anymore. It's like it was originally about the mission and the expositions, which I thought were still fun. But since Jean's left the team, there's like a little less interesting. I do like the Sage Beast converse ongoing conversation. I think it's great to have two incredibly smart people and one of them being able to be like, you can be smart without being an asshole, basically. So I like that because it's not like he can really one up her in terms of intelligence, but it does. It feels a little bit more exposition-y going through the motions than it does like, oh, wow, this is a team that I really enjoy the chemistry. They've kind of really lost that, I think, over the past couple of, I mean, probably 10 plus issues. Clark? Oh, I feel like this is a book about Beast and and sometimes Quentin, and then Sage happens to be there and nobody else matters. Like, why the fuck they never have Black Tom Cassidy anywhere when he's in nothing and does nothing ever. I just, I yeah. don't get it. The I, first I, are good. I would like to see, I think, the rest of Krakoa, like, reacting to, like, X-Force right. uh, for, like, subsequent storylines because it's, like, like, treating them almost like quasi-villains, I think, would make the book a lot more interesting. And I think that's the direction they're going in. Clearly, Beast is being set up as a black hat. That I, w- I so much so that I wouldn't be surprised that like the revelation is Dark Beast. Uh, although I do hope it's mm-hmm. just Hank McCoy just being a dick. Clark, Beast needs to go underground with Sabretooth. Sabretooth did fucking nothing by comparison. Sabretooth just did fuck. He did, he killed somebody before the law was set. This guy yep. sucks, and he should be cr- killed. They should just kill him and never bring him back. Uh, can we make Krakil a thing? I think I feel like that's the right way to do it. He should be Krakilled. Krakil um, his face for off. capital punishment. I will. I do have to give credit. So it was funny because we're talking about this as an X Force issue, even though it was Wolverine. So at the, on the plus side, at least it wasn't a Wolverine vampire story that I don't really care that much about. <laughs> except, except the cliffhanger for that, the Wolverine stuff is when they go to Sevilleth and they encounter death, and I was like, mm-hmm. oh. Fuck, I want to see more of this. And as soon as that gets interesting, I mean, the gala happens, which has been great, but we haven't seen those threats picked up. So, uh, and like with solicitations, we're going to see him fighting Solemn again, who's one of the the Rockins from the Ten of Swords um, storyline. That was the only thing I was going to say. This, uh, because the Hellfire Gala, which I love so much, is that it's like the same thing like Ten of Swords. They're all telling this like really interesting, cohesive story. And that even like these like, this is the only thing that actually felt like a tie-in issue where none of this stuff really mattered or I didn't really give a shit. And if it felt like they just had to have something X-Force to do something, uh, Wolverine and X-Force, their issues had to be revolved around this. I'm like, man, this is not really helping further this like bigger vision. Well, 
let's move on to the rest of the Hellfire Gala. So I'm going to talk about Sword number six and Guardians of the Galaxy number 15 at the same time because they were kind of mirror images of each other. Both are written by Al Ewing. Uh, Valerio Shiti drew Sword and uh, Juan Frigeri drew Guardians of the Galaxy. So at the end of the gala, all the non-mutants are shell-shocked by the unveiling of Planet Araco. Peter Gyrick tries to recruit James Hudson, that's Vindicator, into Orcus. Captain America and Doctor Doom start the long process of being strange bedfellows. Meanwhile, on the peak, Agent Brand, in the best Captain Harlock cosplay I've ever seen, addresses the Galactic Model UN. She and Sword offer the representatives of the Galactic Council uh, a new substance called MacGuffin, I mean Mysterium, and as suspected, some of the, rep, uh, uh, the representatives take it, and others don't. And Mysterium is the precious metal backing Saul, the new galactic currency introduced by the mutants. Oh, and Dr. Doom uh, shows up real housewife style demanding who is the ruler of Mars, aka planet Araco, <laughs> the capital of the solar system, and that monarch is the one and only Aurora, uh, sending uh, thousands of ex-fans into multiple orgasms at the same time. The issue end of uh, this issue of Sword ends with Magneto telling Scarlet Witch that she's his daughter again, kinda. And then over in, Gar in the Guardians of the Galaxy, Ego is still in his third trimester. Rocket is cranky about Earth-based planetary bias, and Star Lord and Nova, uh, who is pissed that Doctor Doom is on the Guardians team, head over to the Galactic Council that we saw over in Sword. Uh, and when they get there, Richard Ryder gets triggered by seeing Magneto, yet another supervillain. Uh, unsurprisingly, they fight. Agent Brand tells them to knock it off. And Nova tells Eric Leshner that the universe is getting too complex for his liking. Get over it, Richard. Former enemies have to become allies in order to deal with the greater darkness, something that we've never seen before. And that darkness is the big bad for the upcoming Last Annihilation story. Brent will be very happy. It's the dread Dor Dormammu hatching from Ego, the living planet. All right, questions. Storm, the fucking Regent of Mars. Not actually a question. I'm just really excited about it. Woo! But I know people have stuff to say, so Clark, go for it. I don't know. I'm just fucking pleased as shit. I did want to say that these are Swords issue. Sword is issue six, and Guardians is issue fifteen. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you. Okay. Yeah. Great. <laughs> Forgot yeah. your name. Thought you were gonna say something else, Clark. Okay. I want to just sing the praises of Shidi's artwork because mm -hmm. sword is so fucking good i never thought i could see so when storm arrives you've got the mind tentacle woman uh horsey mcdaniels and then the the galactic rim collective i have never seen an orb look shocked before how did how did he draw it so it looks like it's surprised by what's going on it's a ball <laughs> incredible absolutely incredible um yeah. Yeah. Well, this, I, I, these, was, I was gonna say go this ahead. makes up for the years of resurrection where Storm had zero dialogue lines. Like even if she doesn't really get I mean, I, sadly, I mean it looks like they're building it out more, which I love. But I'm like, what a great way to actually revere the goddess as she should be. So it it certainly all, brought a huge smile to my face. All of the dialogue in this for her is it's me, Storm. End of <laughs> end of issue. Yeah. I am the queen of Mars. No, no, no. The, the line was, Victor, you know my name. Like that, that panel where her hand is coming out of the, like the portal. Oh my fucking God. It's like, like we knew this was coming and it was still amazing. 
And I mean, clearly we're going to get like, uh, I think a Hickman written storm uh, centric series where she's the ruler of Arako and thereby the ruler of the solar system. Right. What a fun payoff of the uh, sword storyline where they're all connected together and they go grab that weird triangle and you're like, I don't know what that's for. All right. I guess we won't talk about that again. Uh-huh. Oh, guess what? It's the most important metal in the universe now. <laughs> yeah. I hate the name though. Mysterium. What is that shit? Yeah, it's it's, it's metallium. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's dumb. It's dumb. Un- unobtainium. Un- unobtainium. Isn't that something from like uh like some story? Yeah, I, I, think, I can't remember what. Yeah. Clark. Um, I feel like these I, I this are fucking great. There's so much connect that I feel like if someone hasn't read one of them then it's a huge disappointment to them. Mm. Like, I feel bad for people who didn't read the other one. Like, they're missing a huge piece of something. That yeah, well, they're, fuck so, that. they're so interconnected that that's, I don't know. Read it. If you haven't read Guardians of the Galaxy, start reading that, you fuckers. That's great. Yeah. Uh, can we um, talk a little bit about Wanda? Yeah, hell yeah. Uh, I, so, I mean, we're, yeah, we're, just, we're assuming she's going to be dead by the end of this, right? Uh, I, I didn't assume that. She seems like the easiest one to be trial of Magnetoed, and I don't think he's going to be but, the one to do it, but someone will have done but, it. But she's going to be in the Darkhold series that's coming out, yeah, that's, and she's yeah, like that's, the main that's my That was my question also, but that was supposed to come out a year and a half ago. Oh, well, I don't know. Well, so yeah, conversely, are they building up where Magneto kills somebody because, because of her being the betrayer or whatever, somebody does something to her? which it enrages it's it's very i don't know i will say clark i agree with you that it's very like tv-esque where they're like oh let's have a mea culpa conversation that builds up this character yeah. interaction so we can sweep it out from under at the season finale well i do think that actually clark's got a good point that i do think that wanda could be the one who dies and i think it's mystique as magneto who kills her tying uh... back into what happened to wolverine like she's putting all this stuff in motion because you know, they're not going to resurrect Irene, a.k.a. Destiny. And so then they bring Wanda back through the uh, resurrection protocols as a mutant. So um, did you do you think that's M- Mystique meeting? Mag- I mean, is, do you think this is Mystique as Magneto? I don't think I don't. I think this is the real I think this is the real Magneto up in because they're up in uh, in the peak right now when that happens. Now, just to connect us over quickly, I'm not going to talk about Way of X, but we can talk about immediately. We see this meeting in Way of X, number three, that we're about to talk about. It's, yeah. it's um, Nightcrawler in the same room, but kind of fucking wasted and lying in the corner. So do you think he'd be maybe a possible witness if the fact that she was killed, the last person he saw him with her with was Magneto? I, that's I, actually I think a really... Has yeah, to that's be a good point. And he's, and he's inebriated. There's three things left. Yeah. So uh, why don't we move on then to Way of X as we start talking about it's uh, the third issue uh, by Slice Burrier and Bob Quinn. We finally get to see how Nightcrawler got drunk at the gala and he's continuing on his quest to establish a culture slash religion slash ethics for Kokoa while Legion tries to handle Onslaught. Before we can get to that upcoming crossover, David Haller helps Loa and Mercury get mentally intimate like he and Blindfold used to. This, of course, leads to less than ideal results. And Nightcrawler discovers that Stacey X has set up Maison Derriere on Krakoa. Okay, so it isn't a brothel per se, as Stacey X strongly tells our titular hero. It's rather a haven for the Krakoans to find some comfort in a strange and new place, including Lost, who chooses to care for infants in this new haven. 
Uh, Fabian Cortez, who's made the effortless transition from sword to this book, gets his 80s ponytailed ass thrown out of this new space, while Lost, who's being possessed by Onslaught, kicks the crap out of him. And Dr. Nemesis, who's been a dick to Dazzler for the past three issues, realizes he's being a dick after all and asks her to dance. So um, how do you think this book is doing and sort of trying to set up a uh, cultural fabric for Krakoa? I think it's very interesting. I like the fact that all the mutants are just monsters who are leaving their babies in the middle of the forest. Yeah, it is, yeah. <laughs> there are so it's many so kids that are just in this weird nursery because the parents don't care about them and it's so well, it certainly weird. has a uh, uh like a sci-fi feel that like oh you, all of your needs are taken care of by the island why wouldn't the need to raise children also be taken care of by the island um i like stacy x a lot i think that she's the she to me seems like she's got a theory about the world and a way of a lens and focusing things and uh kurt's voice kind of seems off here you know, it, it, it I, I was a little bit disappointed because we got all these issues about he's being drunk and, you know, I wanted to see that thread a little bit more nicely, uh, you know, knitted um, or whatever, sewn. I don't know how that fabric works. Um, <clears throat> and also lo giving Lost a place, I think, was very uh, uh, fun um, and giving a reason why she would be able to work in that uh, the bower. Kaylin? Uh, Clark had a quick point, so go ahead, Clark. I was going to say, is this the reason why Nightcrawler, the reason Nightcrawler got drunk was to not talk about Onslaught? I... There's a question over what, I mean, he started talking about it and it didn't, it was so non-functional. Like, why did he get drunk? I think was that he why? is, I don't know if that's the reason, but that's not a bad explanation for it. My thinking was that he's dealing with such petty things in Krakoa and trying to establish this culture that he just wanted to cut loose for one night. It's like when you're working on a major project at work or at school and you're like, I just got a fucking cut loose. And this was him doing it. Uh, it definitely felt a little out of character because I don't know how often I've seen Kurt drunk. I mean, he definitely, you know, imbibes, but, um, but to that level, there's gotta be a plot point there because it was weaved so much through the books, uh, the other books, and then shown in the first you know, couple of pages here, I think very, very cleverly. Uh, the thing I was going to mention to you, Brent, since you mentioned Stacey X, this is the best that she's ever been. Because uh, I don't like this character. I don't like the way she was introduced like back in the early 2000s as a sort of like uh, mutant sex worker. It just felt like very uh, male gazy uh, when she was introduced. But like having somebody who was setting up like... Um, a brothel in a very sort of like historical sense by saying like all of these these like various cultures through history have had places like this and it's not just about sex it's about intimacy and comfort and i'm like like that role that spurrier gives her on this i was like oh my god i didn't even realize like like something like that in a new society would need to exist but it certainly does considering how disorienting krakoa can be for people who've only lived there for i would say a few months um, so, uh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Clark. I was going to talk about Loa and Mercury for a little bit. Go for uh, it. I, I find it interesting that this has suddenly appeared out of nowhere, especially since, I mean, you know, Bling was obviously a character that came out in, in story and we had to deal with it quite a lot. And um, when we used to read Generation X Volume 2 or whatever it was, uh, it's weird that they just like decided Loa's going to become queer 
and kind of steal Mercury because Mer and use Mercury because Mer Mercury and Bling were together. And now they just never mentioned together, but suddenly Lo is here. And I, I, it's very, I don't know why this showed up. And I mean, I know I get it, but I don't understand why they were chosen. And we also I think Pixie, the Pixie came out two months ago in, um, in Runaways, which is never going to be mentioned, I guess, here. So it's like a whole group of, of queer girls who, but, but not the one who actually came out in story and had like this hugely important 12 issue series about her. Yeah, I don't you know. know others who just kind of like dabbled or nothing at all. One issued. It. Yeah, I don't know where Bling is. Uh, I do think it's kind of weird. I, I do think that everybody on Krakoa is pan to some degree. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think there's just a lot of polyamory. And so that's that's kind of where we are. But um, moving on, uh, it's in September. Uh, we find out that Marvel is releasing a sh uh, one shot titled X-Men, uh, X-Men The Onslaught Revelation. Cy Spurrier has said that this story that he's writing isn't over, but Way of X is just the first season. What do you guys think the second season will be? I don't know. We got to get through this onslaught stuff. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the basic. I, I really don't. I don't have theories. I... No, everything we've seen right now is onslaught stuff and Legion, and that's. They haven't really. I mean, just besides, are we going to get a whole story arc with Dazzler? And Dr. Nemesis fucking, that's season two is going to be them. I don't know. I, I guess I'm know. mostly interested in Legion and the extent to which he is so overly powerful that, you know, whatever he whims in minor ways, how that will affect character interactions could be very interesting. Caleb? Uh, yeah, that's what I actually, now that you mentioned Legion, I think that's what the second season will focus on a lot more. I think the Onslaught stuff will, you know, either be wrapped up or they'll find a resolution and then it's about legion's place as a almost like another opposing force to charles xavier and magneto if the quiet council exists in its current form clark do we know whether comic books are going to be reacting to inferno as it's happening that's good a question i don't i don't know because everything's always been reacting to everything else immediately I guess we'll find out when solicitations come out next month. But I, I would be surprised that it, it, it won't be reacting to it because of how tightly plotted uh, and edited these all these books have been. So I, I would be shocked yeah. that there isn't a mention of it. Um, I was thinking, all right. Um, that in terms of Mystique, you know, Mystique and Destiny, there's also uh, Legion and Blindfold would be a very easy tie-in. Just, you know, the fact that Destiny and they're, they're related and also the fact they both uh, can tell the future. Yep. Well, um, Brent, I think I'm hearing a little. It's a news flash. All right, we're going to power through this quickly. Uh, looks like it'll be lights out for Marvel's Heroes in an upcoming limited series by Tom Taylor and Yvonne Coelho titled Dark Ages. The series will explore what happens when Marvel heroes face a force older than Earth that beats them all and will supposedly change things. Dot, dot, dot forever uh what are some of the interesting parts of this story you'd like to see played out Caleb. uh i'm i'm glad to see king black is having a sequel because this sounds very much like a storyline we just saw by donny cates last year or earlier this year uh i like tom taylor a lot i think and i think uh Yvonne coelho is a good artist this just the solicitations did not interest me at all 
Um, I, I, I'm just sort of sick of the cataclysmic, like, you know, everything will change kind of, kind of storylines. We're getting too many of them. Uh, and even though they're written by, by very talented writers, it's just, there's a bit of that exhaustion. And that's why like going back to the Hellfire Gala for a second has been a really nice antidote to that. Where like, it was sort of promised as like, uh, mostly just like an event, like a party, but like now like little things are coming out and it doesn't feel like earth shattering, like in the literal sense, but much more in the figurative sense. And that's the kind of stuff I want to see. I think when you have a story that promises you that your characters will fail, you know, you're kind of like robbing the surprise ending. So the only way they could possibly make it interesting is like some really thoughtful meditation on failure and heroism. And I don't know that we're really going to be able to get that. It seems more like a stunt than anything else. Caitlin? Yeah. Um, and Grant Morrison already kind of explored that when they did uh, Final Crisis over DC about 13 years ago where like, you know, the heroes will fail and then they failed. And then at the end, they ended up succeeding. So we know at some point they will succeed. So it just feels a little like bait and switchy. Sounds like something I will not read issue by issue. There you go. All right. Uh, so going on, uh, depending on the success of Black Widow, Kevin Feige says there could be more prequel movies on the way. Uh, what characters have we seen that you think should get a prequel? Or what characters do you think would be fun to introduce in a prequel? Or stories that should have one? I'm I think Nick Fury would be great. Yeah, I feel like we're getting a lot of him, though. I don't, I don't know. Nick Fury? Nick Fury. Oh. Clark? I need to get Rocket Raccoon's origin because his actual origin is fucking crazy. It's just anthropomorphic yeah. animals and mental patients on a planet. It is nuts. Well, we do know that like Okoye is getting one. So that, I think that will be part of it because she's getting her own show on Disney Plus, right? Yeah. Uh, so I was going to say, Wakanda. yeah, I was going to say I would definitely want to see more of like the Wakandans, but I think, um, I don't know. It depends on what we see from the Eternals, like seeing some like origins of like the, the MCU kind of shit. Like I don't want Avengers like BC, like Jason Aaron's, run but like you know like going back 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 about like you know stuff pre-world war ii because we haven't really seen very much of that um in the mcu at all all right uh so with the soon approaching end of writer nick spencer's amazing spider-man number 74 it seems like there's a possibility ben riley will be returning to his role as spider-man riley was a clone of spider-man's who was killed and came back at some point the new creative team uh, is supposed to include Kelly Thompson, Saladin Ahmed, Cody Ziegler, Patrick Gleason, and Zeb Wells, but we don't know who the lead writer is, possibly Patrick Gleason, but he could just be an artist. Um, what the heck is this? I had a really time following what this character's narrative is. I've never heard of them before. Clark? It was originally, it was Zeb Wells as the head writer, but they it snowballed so much that they want to have, they, they got multiple input from all the other writers, so it's gonna be multiple writers. But it was his vision mixed with everybody else's um yeah. so you please explain ben riley to him because uh, oh my god this. it's <laughs> yeah it's the it's the entire like the the clone saga is the embodiment of 90s comics specifically around spider-man where uh, a clone was introduced um and he was the first character to go as the scarlet spider and then marvel made the revelation that um um 
that like Ben Riley, the clone was the actually the original and Peter Parker was the clone. And so they kind of wrote off Peter and they gave him and Mary Jane like a happy ending. And then Ben became like the main the main Spider-Man. And then uh, Marvel like went through bankruptcy and they saw a huge dip in their sales. And Bob Harris was the editor in chief say, basically said like, you know, I'm going to write the ship of Marvel, even though he was the one who wronged it in the first place uh, and said that. Uh, and to me, that's having Peter Parker back under the Spider-Man mask. I like the character of Ben Riley. I think uh, specifically in this sort of like era of the Spider-Verse where there are so many spider characters, like having another one who's going to take, you know, Peter's place, I think would be great. I think Peter's a fine character, but like you've seen sometimes he's not the most interesting person in his story. It's like, Miles is a much more interesting character. Jessica Drew is a much more interesting character. Gwen Stacy as Spider-Gwen slash Ghost Spider is a much more interesting character. So bringing Ben back is great. Shadwell is a great writer and you're going to have Patrick Gleason, who's a phenomenal artist drawing it. Uh, I'm not a big Spider-Man fan, like in the comics necessarily, but I'd read a few of these just to see what they're like. I believe Patrick Gleason is also helping with the writing based on what I read. Oh, really? Okay. Oh, you know what? He is, uh, he is now a writer artist. So uh, that's oh. good to know. Well, it's All right. interesting. I like the fact that the Beyond Corporation is going to be in that because I like to talk about Next Wave a lot. For sure. Great. All right. Last bit, uh, you know, a little, little stop in the trailer park. So Netflix is rolling the dice with the amount of gay charity they have since the reboot of Queer Eye with the new animated show Q-Force. Q-Force follows a team of queer spy operatives making hack jokes for no one's entertainment. Uh, what could actually make this amazing? Is there any reason to expect this might be good? Yeah, I think this is going to be like that, like drag queen animated series that came out a few years ago, Super Drag or whatever it was called. Which the Brazilian was, one, yeah. It was all just like, like they weren't even double entendres; they were single entendres of like dick jokes and like I, I, this could be okay, but this is the trailer gave me that vibe. I mean, they this one gave like a Citibank joke making fun of people being having pride for only pride's sake. It's not, it's not going to be good. This is going to be like a C plus show that other one we talked that well, I don't want to talk about that fucked up show, but that was an F that was the worst piece of shit I've ever seen. This is not going to be great, but it's not going to be that. Yeah. I don't, uh, I, I think that they had too many jokes that felt like uh, I would be annoyed if I heard them at brunch. And so I'm going to be very annoyed to hear them on television. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, that has been our episode. Uh, please rate and review us um, on uh, Apple or wherever you can review us. Uh, we're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. Uh, we have Bar Sinister every week and tons of great content on our Instagram and Twitter. Give us the follows. Uh, we've been Homo Superior. Happy Pride. And go get some of those metal dicks. Bye.